0: Book Two, Chapter Ten of The Leopard's Spots by Thomas Dixon Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Michelle Fry. Book Two, Love's Dream, Chapter Ten, The Heart of a Villain mccloud had developed into a man of undoubted power he was but 32 years old and the dictator of his party in the state he had the fighting temperament which southern people demand in their leaders with this temperament he combined the skill of subtle diplomatic tact he had no moral scruples of any kind the problem of expediency alone interested him in ethics mccloud's pet aversion was a preacher especially a baptist or a methodist his choicest oaths he reserved for them he made a study of their weaknesses and could tell dozens of stories to their discredit many of them true he had an instinct for finding their weak spots and holding them up to ridicule he bought every book of militant infidelity he could find and memorized the bitterest of it he took special pride in scoffing at religion before the young converts of Durham's Church he was endowed with a personal magnetism that fascinated the young as the hiss of a snake holds a bird his serious work was politics and sensualism in politics he was at his best here he was cunning plausible careful brilliant and daring he never lost his head in defeat or victory he never forgot a friend or forgave an enemy of his foe he asked no quarter and gave none his ambitions were purely selfish he meant to climb to the top and as to the means the end would justify them he preferred to associate with white people but when it was necessary to win a negro he never hesitated to go any length the center of the universe to his mind was a mccloud he was fond of saying to a crowd of youngsters whom he taught to play poker and drank whiskey boys i know the world the great man is the man who gets there He was generous with his money, and the boys called him a jolly good fellow. He used to say in explanation of this careless habit, It won't do for an ordinary fool to throw away money as I do. I play for big stakes. I'm not a spendthrift. I'm simply sowing seed. I can wait for the harvest. And when they would admire this overmuch, he would warn them. As a rule, my advice is, get money. Get it fairly and squarely if you can, but whatever you do, get it when you come right down to it money's your first last best and only friend others promise well but when the scratch comes they fail money never fails a boy of fifteen asked him one day when he was mellow with liquor mccloud would you rather be president of the united states or a big millionaire boys he replied smacking his lips and running his tongue around his cheeks inside and softly caressing them with one hand while he half closed his eyes they say old simon legree is worth fifty millions of dollars and that his actual income is twenty per cent on that they say he stole most of it and that every dollar represents a broken life and every cent of it could be painted red with the blood of his victims even so I would rather be in Legree's shoes and have those millions a year than to be almighty god with hosts of angels singing psalms to me through all eternity and the shallow painted satellites cheered this blasphemy with open-eyed wonder the weakest side of his nature was that turned toward women he was vain as a peacock and the darling wish of his soul was to be a successful libertine this was the secret of the cruelty back of his desire of boundless wealth he had an intellectual forehead of his scotch father large handsomely modelled features nostrils that dilated and contracted widely and the thick sensuous lips of his mother his eyebrows were straight thick and suggested undoubted force of intellect his hair was a deep red thick and coarse but his moustache was finer and it was his special pride to point its delicately curved tips his vanity was being stimulated just now by two opposite forces he was in love as deeply as such a nature could love with sally worth her continued rejection of his suit had wounded his vanity but had roused all the pugnacity of his nature to strengthen this apparent weakness he had discovered recently that he exercised a potent influence over mrs durham the moment he was repulsed his vanity turned for renewed strength toward her He saw instantly the immense power even the slightest indiscretion on her part would give him over the preacher's life He knew that while he was not a demonstrative man. He loved his wife with intense devotion He knew too that here was the preacher's weakest spot in his tireless devotion to his work He had starved his wife's heart He had noticed that she always called him dr. Durham now and that he had gradually fallen into the habit of calling her mrs. Durham this had been fixed in their habits perhaps by the change from housekeeping to living in a hotel since old aunt mary's death mrs durham had given up her struggle with the modern negro servants closed her house and they had boarded for several years he saw that if he could entangle her name with his in the dirty gossip of village society he could strike his enemy a mortal blow he knew that she had grown more and more jealous of the crowds of silly women that always dog the heels of a powerful minister with flattery and open admiration he determined to make the experiment mrs durham while nine years his senior did not look a day over thirty her face was as smooth and soft and round as a girl's her figure as straight and full and her every movement instinct with stored vital powers that had never been drawn upon she was in a dangerous period of her mental development she had been bitterly disappointed in life her loss of slaves and the ancestral prestige of great wealth had sent the steel shaft of a poisoned dagger into her soul she was unreconciled to it While she was passing through the anarchy of Legree's regime, which followed the war, her unsatisfied maternal instincts absorbed her in the work of relieving the poor and the broken. But when the white race rose in its might and shook off this nightmare, and order and a measure of prosperity had come, she had fallen back into brooding pessimism. She had reached the hour of that soul crisis when she felt life would almost in a moment slip from her grasp, and she asked herself the question, Have I lived? And she could not answer she found herself asking the reasons for things long accepted as fixed and eternal what was good right truth and what made it good right or true and she beat the wings of her proud woman's heart against the bars that held her until tired and bleeding she was exhausted but unconquered she was furious with McCloud for his open association with Negro politicians alan in my soul i am ashamed for you when i see you thus degrade your manhood nonsense mrs durham he replied the most beautiful flower grows in dirt but the flower is not dirt well i knew you were vain but that caps the climax isn't my figure true whether you say i'm dog fennel or a pink no you're not a flower will is the soul of man the flower is ruled by laws outside itself A man's will is creative. You can make law. You can walk with your head among the stars, and you choose to crawl in a ditch. I am out of patience with you. But only for a purpose. You must judge by the end in view. There's no need to stoop so low. I assure you it is absolutely necessary to my aims in life, and they are high enough. I appreciate your interest in me more than I dare to tell you. You have always been kind to me since I was a wild, red-headed brute of a boy, and you've always been my supreme inspiration in work. While others have cursed and scoffed, you smiled at me, and your smile has warmed my heart in its blackest nights. She looked at him with a motherlike tenderness. What ends could be high enough to justify such methods? I hate poverty and squalor. It's been my fate. I've sworn to climb out of it if I have to fight or buy my way through hell to do it. I dream of a palatial home of soft white beds grand banquet halls and music and wine and the faces of those I love near me besides the work I'm doing is the best for the state and the nation but how can you walk arm-in-arm with a big black Negro as they say you do to get his vote simply because they represent a hundred and twenty thousand votes I need you can't tell their color when they get in the box i use these fools as so many worms my political creed is for public consumption only i never allow anybody to impose on me i don't allow even alan mccloud to deceive me with a paper platform or a lot of articulated wind i'm not a preacher she winced at that shot blushed and looked at him curiously for a moment no you're not a preacher i wish you were a better man so do i when i'm with you he answered in a low serious voice but i can't get over the sense of personal degradation involved in your association with negroes as your equal she persisted the trouble is you're an unreconstructed rebel women never really forgive a social wrong i am unreconstructed she snapped with pride and you thank god daily for it don't you yes i do human nature can't be reconstructed by the fiat of fools who tinker with laws she cried These thousands of black votes are here. They've got to be controlled. I'm doing the job. You don't try to get rid of them. Get rid of them? Ye gods, that would be a task. The Negro is the sentimental pet of the nation. Put him on a continent alone, and he will sink like an iron wedge to the bottomless pit of barbarism. But he is the ward of the Republic, our only orphan, chronic, incapable that ward is a grip of steel on the throat of the south back of it is an ocean of maudlin sentimental fools i'm simply making the most of the situation i didn't make it to order i'm just doing the best i can with the material at hand why don't you come out like a man and defy this horde of fools martyrdom has become too cheap the preachers have a hundred thousand missionaries now we're trying to support alan i thought you held below the rough surface of your nature high ideals you don't mean this what could one man do against these millions do she cried her face ablaze the history of the world is made up of the individuality of a few men a little yankee woman wrote a crude book the single act of that woman's will caused the war killed a million men desolated and ruined the south and changed the history of the world the single dauntless personality of george washington three times saved the colonies from surrender and created the republic i am surprised to hear a man of your brain and reading talk like that when i'm with you and hear your voice i have heroic impulses you're the only human being with whom i would take the time to discuss this question but the current is too strong the other way is easier and it serves my ends better Besides I am not sure it isn't better from every point of view. We've got the Negro here. We must educate him (gasps) Hush tell that to somebody that hates you not to me she cried Don't you think we must educate them? No, I think it is a crime Would you leave them in ignorance a threat to society? Yes until they can be moved When I see these young Negro men and women coming out of their schools and colleges well-dressed with their shallow veneer of an imitation culture, I feel like crying over the farce. Surely, Mrs. Durham, you believe they are better fitted for life. They are not. They are lifted out of their only possible sphere of menial service and denied any career. It is simply inhuman. They are led to certain slaughter of soul and body at last. It is a horrible tragedy allan looked at her smiled and replied i knew you were a bitter and brilliant woman but i didn't think you would go to such lengths even with your pet aversions it's not an aversion or a prejudice sir it's a simple fact of history education increases the power of the human brain to think and the heart to suffer sooner or later these educated negroes feel the clutch of the iron hand of the white man's unwritten laws on their throat they have their choice between a suicide's grave or a prison cell. And the numbers who dare the grave in the prison cell daily increase. The South is kinder to the Negro when he is kept in his place. You are a quarter of a century behind the times. Am I so old? She laughed. The sentiment, not the woman. You are the most beautiful woman I ever saw. I like all my boys to feel that way about me. You don't class me quite with the rest, do you? She blushed the slightest bit no I've always taken a peculiar interest in you I have quarreled with everybody who has hated and spoken evil of you I've always believed you were capable of a high and noble life of great achievement and your faith in me has been my highest incentive to give the lie to my enemies and succeed and I will I will be the master of this state within two years and I want you to remember that I lay it all at your feet the world need not know it you know it he spoke with intense earnestness but i don't want you to make such a success at the price of negro equality i feel a sense of unspeakable degradation for you when i hear your name hissed at least i was your teacher once come allen give up negro politics and devote yourself to an honorable career in law he shook his head with calm persistence no this is my calling then take a nobler one to succeed grandly is the only title of nobility here is the doctor on speaking terms with you now oh yes i joke him about his hide-bound bourbonism and he tells me i am all sorts of a villain but we have made an agreement to hate one another in a polite sort of way as becomes a teacher in israel and a statesman with responsibilities by the way i saw him driving to the springs with a bevy of pretty girls a few hours ago indeed i didn't know it yes he seemed to be having a royal time and to have renewed his youth an angry flush came to her face and she made no reply mccloud glanced at her furtively and smiled at this evidence that his shot had gone home would you drive with me to the springs we will get there before this party starts back she hesitated and answered yes End of Book 2, Chapter 10